here we go. This is going to be a good one. The sin factor. Dear sister, you may not be ready for this episode. Just a warning to you because even the day after I re I wrote this episode, um, when I went to bed, the dream that I had was not pleasant. The enemy was definitely attacking to the point where when I woke up in the morning, I had to find my olive oil, um, anointing oil that I got at a women's retreat back in August. Um, I got this and I literally, before I went to the gym, walked around my house, every single doorpost in my house. I had to smear this on there while I was praying. And when I woke up, I, I you know, it, it was one of those dreams where you, you literally, you were seeing the name of Jesus, right? And I felt my husband kind of touch me and that's how I came out of the dream. And literally, this was the day after I wrote this episode. And so the enemy is going to do anything, everything to not have you listen to this episode. As I am recording right now, I have a cold and I am chugging. Um, for those on YouTube, you can see me. I am chugging lemon, hot water, lemon and honey so that I can make it through the episode. That is how amazing and powerful when God asks you to do something, right? The enemy is like, nah, this episode, it is needed. And I am taking my time with it because we've been in this series of heart transformation and it will be so, 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 so not godly of me to talk about heart transformation in all its areas and not talk about this difficult topic. And so we're going to go into it, and I pray that the Lord is going to guide my mouth and my heart and help me to work this episode the way he has wanted me to do all along. So the sin factor, not sure if I'm going to put the title as is, but that's what I'm calling it. <sighs> you will need the Holy Spirit, and I pray that the Holy Spirit guides you as you listen to this episode because there are moments in the episode where you will feel convicted, you will feel a tug, you will feel something. And I don't want you to give up because we need this as Christians, as godly women, as followers of Jesus, disciples, believers, wherever you find yourself, um, you need it. And so as I mentioned in episode 57 and 58, this charge of heart transformation where the Lord has put on my heart in this ministry um, has shaken me personally and has taken me a while to muster the courage to step into it. So just as the title of this episode says, this is the part three of heart transformation. All right. So just as the title of the episode says, this part three of heart transformation series will be all about the yokes we find ourselves entangled in. Sin, the sin that so easily entangles us, right? That we sometimes think we cannot be saved and sanctified, but deep within we yearn for Jesus to create in us a clean heart. Some of us have quietly resorted to the will of the enemy over the will of God because we think, you know, we might as well, right? 
And some of us have rebelliously justified our actions under the grace of God. There's a song that I love by Lauren Daigle and it's titled, um, you know, Rebel Heart. And you should listen to it. The words are so poignant. It, it talks about how as believers, as followers, as disciples, sometimes our hearts are not where it's supposed to be. As I mentioned in part one of the series, your heart is a battlefield. Your mind is part of your heart. It has always been a battlefield. But in recent generations, this battlefield has shifted from simply being part of your mind to also being your whole heart. The one thing God wants all of us to do is our heart's work. And the one thing that the enemy now also wants is what? Our hearts. The heart is now where the enemy, the world, including culture, and your natural carnal self compete for residency. Who is going to sit in this heart of yours? Jesus will not compete. He simply waits for you to choose him above all these three entities. You get to choose which yoke fits best by examining the consequences of those who have gone before you. And you can, you really can. And so the episode is not about listing all the sins in the world <laughs> or about blaming and judging. Yep. If I were to list all that I have done and hidden in my heart, we will be here for a while. So no, it's not about whose sin is greater, smaller, lesser, greater, heavier, all that. It's about the invitation Jesus has given us and us honoring that invitation all throughout scripture. It's all about one thing. God wants your heart. I will always say this in all the parts of this series. Your heart is more than your emotions and feelings, dear sister. It is all the things hidden in there that no one sees except you and the Lord. Your heart is complex. It is deeper than the conscious mind. It is more sensitive than the emotions and feelings and all the stuff that sometimes we want to believe that that's all it is. It needs daily nurturing and affirming. It needs rest and care. Your heart is where God delights to dwell and you get to choose him or not. If you haven't listened to part one and part two, you may want to do that first. Part three, sin factor. You're invited to bear the right yoke. So you ready, dear sister? Come on in. Let's go. podcast, which is Choose to Live Free podcast. And what I aim to do with this podcast and the wider ministry of Godly Woman and Company is to help you heal and transform your heart and mind as you choose to honor God, serve others, and live free in Christ every day. So if you're looking for coaching, if you're looking for discipleship, and if you're looking for community, I want you to head over to godlywomanandcompany.org and let's, let's do what? So many things. So... <laughs>
I believe healing is our choice. And once we embrace the process, we can truly heal others as we are healed. So I say healed people heal people. (laughs) Announcements, announcements, announcements before we get into the show. So the Wellspring Life Retreat registration is now live, dear sister. And so go to godlywomanandcompany.org forward slash retreats and get yourself registered. Listen, I I really want to take my time here and share this from my heart. This is personally a gift that is being given to all my dear sisters who can um, participate. And I pray that, you know, the Lord will open your hearts just as he did for Lydia when Apostle Paul showed up so that you will listen and pay attention. Um, You can hear my voice all day long, inviting you, inviting you to this retreat, but I cannot convince you. Only the Lord can convince you. And so what I'm, I'm praying about is that for each and every listener who is listening, if you're able and if you're able to spare yourself that time to be postured in the presence of God from January 18th through the 21st, you are being invited to join a select group of women. I'm only select, you know, it's about 15 to 20. Actually, I prefer 10 to be with me um, in Georgia as we actually work on our wellspring, the hearts of ours. And we go into the new year with so, 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 so much readiness, so much vim, so much zeal for the Lord as he directs our 2024. The dates are January 18th. Uh, it starts at 5 p.m. And we're going to go through Sunday, January 21st at 11 a.m. in Atlanta, Georgia. So do go to my website, godlywomanandcompany.org, and you'll find all that information there or chiefjoyactivator.com, whichever one you come across. On the website, you will find all the lodging details and pricing. If you are, you're concerned about the pricing and all that, trust me, what you're paying for is your lodging. <laughs> you're paying for your lodging and registration fee. Nothing else. Now I'm, I'm not getting paid. The executives are not getting paid. All the resources that you're receiving and all that stuff. So it's truly a gift. And so I hope that you will find that in your budget to register and come join me and your dear sisters on January 18th. We will also share more information as the months go along. So I hope that you can join us and you can get closer to Jesus, okay? So I hope to see you there. Also, are you struggling to have joy and peace in your daily life? Do you want to strengthen your faith so you can experience the life God has for you and has meant for you? Do you need some encouragement and practical tips to make this happen in your life. I hear you. Some of you do. So many of us want more for our daily lives when it comes to our Christian walk, right? My friend Bryn Green is hosting a free online inspirational series called Faith in Action, Practical Strategies for Everyday Living, where she has invited over 23 experts on the topic of faith, including me. (laughs) I was so surprised when she called, when she sent me a message, but then also I was very honored, right? I'm very honored to be part part, part of, the, of the summit. And so 
This is a free online summit, uh, Faith in Action Summit, and it will run from November 1st through the 21st, 2023. And I am so honored to be a speaker for the summit, and I invite you all to mark your calendars. When you join me and learn to put your faith in action, you will get to access daily inspiration to live with joy and peace, daily expert interviews, including me, mm-hmm, practical and encouraging tips for how to deepen your own faith and how to incorporate practical faith in everyday life, including free resources to make that happen. And I happen to give a free resource too. And how to live each day joyfully and fully alive to the best version of yourself. So I invite you to save a seat. Okay, so listen to where you can save a seat at. You can go to unfadingbeautyandstrength.com forward slash faith in action summit k dot coker daisy that's my last name so k dash coker daisy so go ahead and register save your seat because i want to see you there and i want my dear sisters to have all the faith that you can have when it comes to living your everyday life in christ okay All right. So here we go. I know you have been waiting. You're probably like, Kate, just skip all the announcements. Let's get to the good stuff. (laughs) All right. Let's get to the good stuff because my throat is starting to get there and I may need to pause so I can cough here and there, but don't mind. The Lord is going to take us through. Okay. So how many of you are married out there, dear sisters? I know some of you are. You know, when you are in a relationship, like an intimate relationship, there is no one bolder to read you than the partner you sleep next to every day, right? So, (laughs) you know, this is going to be good. (laughs) Recently, I encountered some information from someone that contradicted the information my mind was processing, okay? And I shared the challenge I was having with my husband, thinking he will join me in analyzing the foolery of the lie. (laughs) To my dismay, this man says, well, you know, everyone lies, babe. Even you have lied before. Did this man just say that? That even you, babe, you have lied before? (laughs) Now, If the ground was able to swallow a person in a living room, I would be swallowed up right there and right then, okay? Because um, it was just one of those things where, you know, he, he just literally went in and I was like, what? If the ground was able to swallow a person in our living room, I would have been swallowed. And if I had chicken drumsticks in my hand, not sure why drumstick, but that sounds so good. It would have hit the floor. I would have just dropped it. Yeah, and my mouth would still be open. That's how when we read the Holy Bible, we get read by the Lord. How many of us have experienced that? I have. Sometimes I'm like, ooh, let me pause right here because this one is really, you know, my heart. Mm-hmm. But my husband was right. Who was I to analyze such information and determine where the lie was or where the lie wasn't, right? Whether it was a white lie, a straight up lie, a sideways lie, a downright wrong lie, (laughs) I just made all that up. (laughs) We've all done something like that at some point in our lives, right? Yeah. 
The word sin is described in the Bible as transgression of the law of God. 1 John 3, 4. And rebellion against God. Deuteronomy 9, verse 7. Joshua 1, 18. As I researched the definition of sin, I noticed a trend emerging. Most references to the definition started with a statement such as, sin is defined in religious context, okay? Sin as explained in the Bible. Sin when referred to by Christians. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I wondered, the world has lost its way in calling an immoral act of sin what it is, sin, because our moral compass no longer points to one truth, right? But whatever truth we can adjust to, to make us feel good about our actions and emotions. And so even the definition of sin, we have to put a pretext or qualify it by saying, according to the Bible, according to Christians, according to religion, because we just can't say sin is this. Okay. These days, the definition of sin is made optional in the world based on which truth a person ascribes to. If we can see truth, small t, and still deny that we see because we don't want to offend, we want to be politically correct, very soon, even the truth himself, capital T, no longer becomes a trusting point of reference, but simply one amongst many voices we believe we can choose to hear or not. Ooh. Yeah. So let's look at sin further in definition. Sin started with Satan. Sidebar. If you're ready for the sidebar, here it goes. Did you know that Lucifer isn't the evil spirit's real name? Mm -hmm. The etymology of the name is fascinating knowledge to have. I don't want this episode to be so long, but I do feel like because God has mandated me to do this, I have to do it justice. And so if you will permit me, I'm going to give you a little lesson on the name Lucifer. So here we go. In Isaiah 14, verse 12, you can read the various versions and you will notice Lucifer is mentioned. And according to the English Standard Version, it even says he is the O-Day Star. And I was thinking, I was like, we do have a ministry called Daystar, right? Anyway, so some say son of man, son of the morning as well. So O-Daystar, son of the morning, Lucifer. In Bible translation, the translators of King James Version of the Bible translated the Hebrew word Hillel as Lucifer. Lucifer isn't an English translation, but a Latin translation borrowed from the Vulgate, which is the Latin translation of the Bible. This is also interesting and fascinating to me. I don't know if it is to you. Hillel means shining one or morning star. But Lucifer was used instead by some modern versions, but some modern versions now use the Hillel meaning. So Lucifer became synonymous with Satan. And you can read more about this research at toeverynation.com, okay? And that's where you'll find majority of the information that I have just shared with you about the name Lucifer. So yeah, so Lucifer, Satan, he has many names, right? You can think of a, a million of them. 
He is the being that sin originates from as he wanted to be like God. He was cast out of the kingdom of God, found his way to the garden, and there, guess what? Don't bite the apple. Don't bite the apple. Yes, bite the apple. Bite the apple. Adam and Eve fell prey <laughs> to his cunning ways and sin entered mankind. Some of you might say, Eve, 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 why did you bite the apple? Why did you take it? Let's not, you know, let's not blame Eve, okay? Let's, let's, let's just move on. Okay. There is the inherited sin, the sins passed down from Adam through the generations. And this is the first type of sin. These days, we refer to some as generational curses that are passed down from generation to generation to generation. Through Adam, sin entered the world, and we can read more from Romans 5, 12. So we inherited the sinful nature from the first man fallen. There is also the imputed sin. Impute is being credited with something that belongs to another person. Okay? Impute. The meaning of impute is being credited with something that belongs to another. Today, we might say plagiarism and all that stuff. So from Adam, his guilt, shame, depravity were attributed to us or are attributed to us. Inherited sin is inherent in us as from birth. And some theories out there, especially me being from a therapy perspective, sometimes some theories out there will say no to that, dear sister. That's why I always say that when you are seeing a therapist, make sure that you see a therapist that is godly, that is biblical, that is a Christian, and that can point you to the truth. I can say a whole lot about that. But the same punishment that Adam and Eve received, we receive today. And if it, it, and if it wasn't for the coming of Jesus, we would now have access to true repentance. God imputed all of mankind's sins to Jesus who carried them to the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Can we all say that? Thank you, Jesus. So that when we fall prey to sin, we are not walking around with the heaviness and the burdens of shame and guilt and condemnation and all those things that, you know, if you don't know Jesus, sometimes we walk around in cycles in, right? And if you read 1 John 2, verse 2, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, you will find more there about this. The third sin is personal sin. The ones we all engage in out of our own choosing, not because of Satan. Yes, sometimes we know that we are doing something and it's wrong, but we do it anyway. So like the white lies, right, to the greater ones like murder, and so on and so forth. So one Bible verse that I repeat to myself often when I am tempted to do something is um, something that goes contrary to what delights the Holy Spirit of God in me is this right here, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Now this chapter in verse six is a warning that what Israel's ancestors did as set as a reminder so we do not set our hearts on evil things as they did. We always have something to look to, right? And if you look at the consequences of people's actions, oftentimes you can learn a great deal from them. 
just by that. The entire chapter is about idolatry, which is how sin manifests in us. We have idols all around us, all around us. And we can't see them. And we sometimes we can't seem to let these idols go. When you go to godquestions.org and you find the definition of sin, you have more details there. So a bit of a story about 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And I'm going to preface this by saying this. This may be triggering. This story might be triggering to some of you. So dear Lord, for any ear that's listening, for any heart that's listening, if suicide is something they wrestle with or they know someone wrestling with it or they have somebody who may have gone through it, under the sound of my voice, Lord, I declare freedom in their hearts and minds. Amen. First Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way Okay, he's going to provide a way for you to come out of it or you can endure it. And here's the story. I've said this before, but I'll share it again. Maybe I have. But every time I hear 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I am reminded of a certain part of my life that I was really, 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 really depressed in my lowest, lowest point. I wrestled with suicidal thoughts in my teens. Actually, I came close twice in my life. So on this day, I was sitting in church at Victory when the preacher mentioned 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Now, a few days prior to that Sunday, God had already opened my eyes to this chapter and this verse because I was working with a client who was a high-risk 1013 patient. Pause there. For those of you who don't know what 1013 is, it is a code that mental health professionals like me, we use to alert authorities of a patient's risk to harm self and others, Okay. And so on this Sunday, as I sat in the pew at Victory, the Holy Spirit gently whispered, 1013. And I was like, 1013? Code. First Corinthians 1013. No temptation. Oh my goodness. And I still get goosebumps when I think about it. Who came up with the code? Because this is literally from the Bible. And the Bible is saying that I can save you. There's a code in the law of Georgia that says, hey, if you're about to harm yourself, we will come and rescue you. God is saying in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that, hey, if you're about to commit the sin, remember, the temptation is not stronger than me. I can help you overcome. Dear sisters, are you catching what I'm laying down? 10, 13, literally the gravest sin that one can commit to self is when their heart and mind is overtaken by the lies of the enemy 
and has been fed by these lies to the point of hopelessness, that the only way out is to take their life. And the only way to find relief is taking one's own life. I sat down in church that day, bewildered. And all I could say was, wow. And thank you, Jesus. First Corinthians 10, 13. And I read this again and again. These things happen. And I'm, start, I'm starting from chapter, uh, verse 11. These things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. If you think that you are all that already, dear sister, and you're good, know that when the temptation comes, sometimes you don't know it. Oftentimes, most of the times, we don't know it, that it's coming. No temptation, and this is 13, has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I, I really would do an episode study on this chapter. And in that episode, I hope to share more about my seasons of depression and how I survived suicidal attempt twice. One in my teens and one in my 20s. There is no temptation. And I'll, I'll, I want to pause here and say this. Anyone who knows me from my childhood that listens to this episode might be wondering like, wow. And I don't share much about some of the details of my childhood and my depression and all that because it takes me to a place that I have been healed from. And sometimes when I remember, I, I choose to believe that, you know, the greater things that God has showed me and helped me experience in life is where I want to dwell. So I don't dwell on those parts of my life too much. Sometimes it comes and then I pray through it and move on. There is no temptation that we cannot overcome, dear sister. Even suicide. I do not know if this is a coincidence that 1013, as the Bible verse says, reminding us of temptations we can overcome is the same used as a code in Georgia when it comes to the grievous sin that we can ever commit against ourselves. So I, I probably would do more on that, but I just really felt convicted to, to really spend some time here. So we know that the word of God, y'all, the word of God is where everything has really sprouted from. There's nothing new under the sun. The devil, Satan, is cunning and will use anything and anyone to keep us in bondage, okay? So I want to shed some light on idols. Idolatry is the number one sin ravaging the world today. Without us being aware, we worship things and people, even when the word of God warns us against trusting people and things of this world. We put our whole being into people. Oh, this person is my whole heart in place of God. This human being is your whole heart. Oh, this person has my whole heart in place of God. This human being, just like you and I, that can literally commit all that. Dear sisters, we got some work to do. We do have some work to do. 
Remember the inherited and imputed and personal sins? Human beings that you put your all in all and they have your own heart and all that. Idols, we worship human beings every single day, even without knowing it. Disobedience can be inherited and it can also be personal stubbornness, even when we know the truth or that we are engaging in will harm us. We still do it anyway. Idolatry is when God is replaced by something or someone else. Simply, who or what consumes your thoughts more than God and the will of God and the things of him? We worship idols to produce or receive benefits. Sometimes we worry. Worry is an idol. The things that we think about in our thoughts you know, we, we think on it so much, it consumes us that we can't do anything else. We are paralyzed by it. We believe we can control the outcome. And so those are the things that we go after. Idols, sometimes we look to as our point of reference, right? Um, our resources, and we, we pour everything into the idols have our hearts, they have our time, they have our resources. And we we feel like this, this, you know, we put everything into that and we don't spend enough time looking to God and seeking his face and doing the things that we know is going to help us in the ways that he wants us to go. And so I really, really want to charge us this time that it is so important that we take time here and look at idols. If there is a decision between this idol and God, you wrestle with it. And sometimes when we give in to the flesh, the idol wins. Sadly, in our minds, we believe grace will save us all the time. And so we do it, right? Oh, you know, God's grace. And so we do it. We are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. If anything has become a point of reference, identity, and has slowly and suddenly replaced God in your whole heart, there is some idolatry at work. I could go on, okay? Some examples are food, money, social media, celebrities, music, laziness, thought life, fitness, problems, sex, fantasies, hustling, dreams. They, they consume you so much that you, you can't do anything. That is what I mean. Oh, I feel a sneeze coming on. Lucy. <laughs> Let me pause here. This episode, as I previewed in the beginning, is about the one thing that separates our hearts from fully experiencing the freedom in Jesus Christ. I love it when we Christians uh, to qualify, quote these scriptures, and I'm going to share the scriptures. The first one, John 8, 32 and 36, and I'm going to read. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In verse one of John 8, right? Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And in verse 33, the people push back saying they are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves. To this, Jesus replies in verse 34, 
Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Stop, 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 stop. <laughs> this is what I mean by when you read the Bible, you get read by the <laughs> Listen, this is this is really Jesus was always going in. He would just say it straight up like, listen, you are a slave to sin. You might not be a slave to people, but you are a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, Jesus says, but a son belongs to a family forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. Ooh. I am telling you that what I have seen in the father's presence and you're doing what you have heard from your father, little if. Knowing the context of a Bible verse is everything in your study of the scripture, dear sister. Read the pre and the post texts. It informs that verse that you're actually reading. Here we become aware of this. True disciples of Jesus know the truth. And as he is the truth, the way and the life, a true disciple is free. You're no longer a slave to sin. If you're going to be a slave and you have a choice, why be a slave to something that brings death? instead of what brings light and life. A prisoner of hope, a slave of Jesus's yoke, is way better than a slave to sin, a slave to idols, a slave to people that you worship and you believe they can give you everything, when in actuality, we have all sinned and fallen short. The sun sets you free, okay? Because he say, God, Jesus says his yoke is easy. The son sets you free. You have to receive this freedom through repentance in your heart and choosing his way where there is life. Choosing his way where there is life. Another scripture that we quote often that sometimes is kind of misconstrued or misinterpreted is this one. 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Who is the hope here? Jesus. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to present to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. If your heart is covered, can something penetrate? Can something go in? Think of the hardness of your heart and the steel plate that you have put around your heart. You think something can go in? No. But whenever, in verse 16, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. It is shattered. And Jesus did that. Now the Lord is the spirit. 
And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Again, we see that for the spirit of the Lord to dwell within us, we must turn and look at him, turn our hearts to him. We cannot keep reciting scripture after scripture, and yet our hearts are turned away from him. Sideways, diagonal, upside down. <laughs> In verse 16, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What happens when the veil covering a bride is taken away? The groom sees his bride, the beauty, the eyes telling her heart's yearnings for him, right? If you want Jesus to see your heart, turn to him. Turn your heart to him and allow him to see you because the veil is torn. This is when heart transformation truly happens, where he transforms your heart into his image and his image is increased in you. Nothing separates you and his spirit anymore. Wow. <laughs> so in preparing for this part three, I also watched a video on cattles, <laughs> oxens, and other animals who are, that are yoked for the day's work. work. Basically, there is this 80-pound yoke equipment that is hooked around the neck of the animal. The video I watched had a about 1,500 pounds cattle, like the cattle weighed 1,500 pounds, being yoked with whatever it is, the equipment, and the final weight of the yoke being about 100 pounds. That is a lot of weight around the neck, okay? Imagine that, dear sister, like around your neck, this weight. So I had to pause the video I was watching because I couldn't imagine the animal with all that around its neck. The engineering of the yoke is so amazing. And the master, the one in charge of yoking, even explained how if the animal encounters danger, he is able to easily pull the pins and free the animal. Now, let's, let's think about that in the context of what Jesus said earlier about being slave to sin. You're choking. It's, it's here. It's burdening you. And you need to release it, right? My daughter started sixth grade this year. And part of her school's dress code is wearing a cross tie. The first day, she said it felt uncomfortable the second day, she mentioned the same sentiment. By the second week, the second month into school year, she had different sentiments, figuring out how to live with the cross tie, even gesturing like it's choking with a fake cough. <laughs> she had learned how to live with it, right? The cattle or ox is living with this yoke as part of its daily life routine. 
and is given bits of freedom here and there by its master, the farmer. My daughter for about six hours each day, except for PE days, is yoked to a school rule that requires her to wear a cross tie and be in uniform with everybody else. Her freedom from the cross tie rule begins when she's picked up from school. You can literally see when she takes it off. Dear sister, I hope you see in these two analogies how we live our daily lives. Every day we walk around, we are yoked by something. And Jesus is like, daughter, if only you would just pick up my yoke. It is so easy because I carry the burden. The burden that you have is just being my daughter, doing the things that I say for you to do in my word. And if for some reason you fall into sin, don't worry, come back to me and repent and I will forgive you and all that. The main thing God desires to have is our hearts. We can sin in our hearts. I tell you, we do that all the time in our thoughts and all that stuff. But I tell you that anyone who looks to a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. An example of what we do when it comes to sins, when we sin in our heart, it starts in our thoughts. And remember, the mind is part of your heart. When we walk in darkness, we reject Jesus. Ooh, I think John Bivier said that. When we walk in darkness, we reject Jesus. When we do this, we cannot be transformed into his likeness. God's law exists to help us see where we are and where we can be. Our personalities are beautiful, y'all, yet we inherited and we have imputed in personal sins. That's why while our nature is good and unique to our being, God's ultimate desire is for us to be, to be in true freedom and to be with him. No father wishes to see their child destroyed. They want to see their child healthy and whole, right? So while nature is good, dear sister, allowing your heart to be nurtured by God's love through his law, the Bible, the word, is where you experience whole heart healing. But we have something called choice. Yeah. And we get to allow Jesus in or we don't. Everyone is yoked to something and or someone. Now, we'll betide you if you're yoked to something and someone. That's hard. <laughs> it's hard, y'all. It is hard. And I can think of a few examples where people are yoked to something and someone. I keep reminding myself of this fact. And if anyone out there thinks this is not true, rewind a few minutes and brush up on the definition of idolatry. We are all yoked to something or someone. Whatever or whoever you worship, you're yoked to. The yoke around your neck, like the, that of a cattle, as I explained earlier, puts the animal in submission. When Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine that we should take his yoke upon us, take my yoke upon you, Jesus is offering us a different kind of yoke. One that is easy and the burden you carry is literally light because he carries it all for us. All Jesus asks is for us to submit and serve. We cannot say we serve 
Jesus and still hold on to our yokes. I told y'all that I was going to sneeze at some point. Excuse me. We cannot say that we serve Jesus, we worship Jesus, we submit to Jesus and still hold on to our yokes. Because in, in actuality, when you think of how a yoke is, it is controlled by the master. So if you're going to be yoked to anything other than Jesus, Jesus is really not controlling you. You are controlling it or whatever it is that you're yoked to is controlling you. Jesus is just some, someone that you hope to have or you, you pray to that he will come in. But in your heart, there isn't that freedom yet. And he wants that. Once you release the yoke from your heart and you allow Jesus to take it, that's where true freedom really is. And I'll talk more about it in a minute. So if you do not want to be yoked to Jesus, then who are you yoked to? If you are yoked to Jesus, but then you're also yoked to other things, do you really think Jesus is able to do what he wants to do fully in your life? You can't be yoked to Jesus into the world at the same time. You can't serve two masters, God and Mammon. You are either here or there. When we, and this is the, the, the black and white that sometimes, you know, we don't want to say, but the Bible truly tells us it's black and white. It's not gray. There's no great. God is like me or them. You can be here and be there and all that stuff, lukewarmness. But we sometimes don't want to admit these things because the truth hurts. And the tr but, but the truth will set you free. But the truth, you know, we live in this way. It's like, just accept the truth and let Jesus deal with whatever is happening. You are either here or there. When we try to play in the middle, we end up getting played. <laughs> when we try to play in the middle, we end up getting played, okay? We are warned not to conform to the patterns of this world, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. In the coming parts of this Heart Transformation series, we will be diving into never being double-minded. I must say that falling into sin can sometimes feel like it's just happened, like it literally just happened. But truly, sin doesn't just happen. It starts very subtly. Like we are often blinded to what's happening because the enemy is very cunning, right? And sometimes we are so dull and blinded and deaf you know, to everything that's going on. Some people call the gut feeling intuition, which is true. I call my gut to into uh, a feeling uh, uh, the Holy Spirit. At the first sign of danger, like Joseph, you need to run, run like a gazelle running from the hunter. Like you see how a gazelle runs? Run as fast as you can. I can only imagine Joseph during that time. He just ran and left his robe. Run like a gazelle from the hunter, the Bible says. 
There is no need hanging around to see what will happen next. Like the horror movies where we hang around to see and I'm like, run! There is no need to hang around to see what will happen next. Who will say what? How will everything go down? Run, dear sister. Run, run, run like a gazelle. The conforming to the patterns can be packaged as feel-good moments in the songs we listen to, the voices we listen to, the things that attract our senses, eyes, ears, taste, smell, touch. The enemy will always come through one of these senses. But truly, the eyes and the ears are leaders of the pack. What you see and what you hear or listen to, it can seep into the heart through the mind very slowly. We are to guard our hearts. If, you, if what you're hearing or listening to feels good, I want you to match it up against the word of God. If what you're reading feels good, match it up against the word of God. If what you're watching feels good, match it up against the word of God. No one is perfect. And no, we are not here to say be perfect. We're here to say strive to be like Jesus. We cannot live in the world and not encounter sin. As Christians, we will be tempted all the time. Truly, we will be tempted all the time. This is why the words of Apostle Paul in the book of Romans holds some important truths about sin and how we can overcome it. We see from chapter 5, Romans chapter 5 through 8, Apostle Paul lays out the DNA of sin, including how he himself struggled with it because of his fleshly nature. Yet in chapter 8, we find hope. Actually, starting from chapter 7, we see the acknowledgement of our sinful nature and the need for Jesus. Romans 8 is where the sweet spot is for me. You sit with Romans 8 and meditate on it for a while, and your heart will begin to shift. So in Godly Woman and Company, uh, uh, one of the things that I always say is being Romans 8, because it is taking on the spirit of God. We are being model, molded and transformed to be spirit-led via the spirit of God, via the spirit of life, experienced through the word of life. If you are spirit-led, you gravitate to the word of God. You read it for yourself. I want to conclude on one thing, walking in the light. I knew this part three would be so dense and rich because the topic is just one that we often don't casually talk about in conversations like, hey, let's talk about sin today. What sin did you commit? Like, what did you do? What are your thoughts? What are some of the things that you're truly, truly thinking about and holding on to? It's not part of our casual sisterly conversations that we have. And so this episode is really one where I wanted to sit down and just lay it all out, okay? Like, this is all it is, okay? Like, it doesn't have to be that complicated. The entire Bible is about a God saving his children from sin. Entire Bible. To the point where he had to come down 
and literally be with us, show us. This is really what the core of our walk is all about. Choosing the light and not darkness, giving the yoke to him and taking on the yoke that is lighter and freer and all that. And the light being led by Jesus, where we exchange our will for his will. Our zeal to be or become followers of Jesus doesn't need to be complicated with a bunch of rules. I think religion has done all of us a disservice. Like we have, we get indoctrinated into religion. And then later on, we realize that, wait, there's a whole relationship that we can have that we missed out on. And so we try to have the relationship. But in religion, we did so many things that now we are having to unburden and it becomes all this complex process that we have, we go through. <laughs> Seriously, if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, and can save you from your sins, you have taken a bold step, step of denouncing idolatry, burdened yokes, and acknowledging your sins. But churches sometimes make it, or religion makes it so complicated and have people stepping into a life of following Jesus without spending enough time helping the person understand what the journey really is like to follow Jesus. The journey with Jesus means acknowledging that you are a sinner and that you need a savior to save you from yourself and from your sins and not just from yourself, from your sins, we need to hone in on that. I did not get that. And it took me a long time to get to a place where I knew what sin really is. And what was in my heart was not just stuff, but it was sin. It was all these things that were just like interwoven that I had to allow Jesus to intricately, gently, slowly go into my heart and do surgery. But when I started my walk with Jesus, sin was not even part of the equation. No, it was like, you have to, you know, be free from yourself. And what is that? What does that look like? We are doing a whole lot in religious settings and not really just laying it out what it is, which is freeing yourself from the sins, the bondage, the things that are holding you back. And you believe in that Jesus, who is the son of God, is the one who can free you. Also, understanding that your sin nature will always be a part of you. That right there is free. If I understand that sin nature is a part of me, then now I have become aware of that sin nature. Okay. The enemy, you do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities, enemies you cannot see. This enemy will do all he can to continuously tempt you back into sin nature. But because you have become aware, now you know what to do. Yet the more you allow the Holy Spirit of God to consume your heart, eventually you develop strong spiritual character and fortress against these evil ways. So this is what 1 John 1, 5 to 10 says, and I'll kind of wrap up with this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we, all, if we claim 
to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness. We lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of all our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Dear sister, I want you to read on that again and meditate. The heart is the core of who we are, the source from which our being flows, our morals, our actions, our words, our thoughts, and all that. Everything we think of and in turn speak and do stems from this central place. Our spiritual heart symbolizes our connection to our inner core. It is so important that as Christian followers, we know who and what is at the core of our being and what we are yoked to, who we are yoked to. Whatever or whoever is at the core of your being is ultimately the Lord over you. We cannot live a sinless life as long as we are in this world. But God, we aren't under the law but under grace, under grace. So when we fall into sin, God's love should remind us to do the first thing, which is repent. Now, some of us, it's even hard to do, repent. You hold on to your, you, you know, that thing, like, but that's the freedom. That's where freedom truly starts. Have the heart posture of repentance in his presence and acknowledge what it is. Be open and honest and transparent with God. He hears you. It's just you and him. Ask for forgiveness and commit to his discipleship to grow in him with the help of the Holy Spirit. This is where freedom really sits, y'all. Let me repeat, true freedom, our desire to be set free, when we acknowledge, accept, and abide. Acknowledge our sinful nature and give it to Jesus. Accept Jesus and his yoke and burden, and we abide forever in him. We are committed to his ways. This leads to the question then, how does one recognize sin and is convicted towards redemption? That is a repentance and getting back into relationship. That's what redemption is, repentance and getting back into relationship. Well, God's word, the Bible, lays out every manner of sin known to mankind and ever will be committed or has been committed. There is nothing that has happened in this world that the word of God hasn't already spoken of. And God even says that there are six things, seven things he detests. And we can find countless scriptures that will support both the predictions of the sin and the consequences. I believe any believer, follower, disciple of Jesus who sins is convicted by the Holy Spirit, not into guilt and shame, but into re repentance and redemption. It is still our choice to embrace that conviction, though, 
and not to rationalize it or not try to hold on to it, not argue with it, not excuse ourselves out of what we know the Lord wants us to do because we excuse it with grace. When you excuse your sins with grace, you stifle the pace that Jesus wants to take you on towards your freedom. Let me repeat that. That was good. When you excuse your sin with grace, that means you, you cover it up under grace, you stifle the pace that Jesus wants to take you on towards your freedom. Mm -hmm. This could be anywhere from apologizing to those sins that you have committed. Once you repent, you get to a place and you say, Lord, I'm sorry. He will have you apologize and apologize to those who's, who your sins have impacted to facing the consequences. Sometimes the Lord will have us face our consequences and experiencing justice, mercy, or grace. Lots to say here, but I hope you get the main points when it comes to recognizing sin and being convicted of sin. The day I became aware of my suicidal thoughts, dear sister, during my heart transformation in 2016, I wept. I bitterly, sadly, angrily wept. So much emotion as I talked to God that I felt unworthy, not accepted, and that what I, you know, and that what was, you know, going on and all the thoughts that I had would not help. I didn't think anything would help. I cried for his help to remove that spirit of shame and brokenness from me due to sexual abuse over the years in my childhood. The thoughts didn't fade away overnight, dear sister. But year after year, the more I leaned into God's bosom, the more he, 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 he embraced me with his truth, love, and power to stand firm in his armor. When the thoughts plague my mind and sin begins to crouch, and yes, to this day, sometimes those thoughts will plague my mind, I can grab his sword and go to war and just slash the enemy's throat. Like, I don't need you because I have a father who knows me, loves me, and speaks truth over my heart and mind every day. And so when I am in this space where my thoughts are plaguing me, 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 10.13 is always on my lips. No temptation has overtaken me except what is common to mankind. And my God is faithful. He will not let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. But when I am tempted, he will also provide a way out so that I can endure it. Now, dear sister, your turn. I want you to memorize it and I want you to speak it. Remember, you are more powerful than the enemy within and without because light surely cancels out darkness. <clears throat> Excuse me. And when the darkness is canceled, you reject the acts of the flesh. And guess what? You experience the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, all of it. 
and against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Like I said, when you read scripture, keep reading, but we like the fruits of the spirit. But right after the fruits of the spirit, it says what? Against the fruits of the spirit, there is no sex, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You belong to Jesus, dear sister, it's time to crucify those things that are holding you back, are keeping you in bondage. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. I know I'm getting emotional. This concludes part three of the Heart Transformation series. We have defined sin and looked at the various types of sin. We have looked at the role of Satan and what Satan does and how it all connected to the sin factor. We have looked at how sin encroaches and overtakes us. We have looked at examples of sin, particularly idolatry, suicide, and the role of mental and cognitive impairment and how our emotions can get in the way, right, of our awareness. We have looked at the yokes we do not need and the one that we need. We have looked at the process of repentance and journey to true freedom. We have looked at the benefits of being spirit-led, walking in the spirit of life with the word of life. We have looked at how to recognize sin and our need to embrace conviction from the Holy Spirit into re repentance and redemption. And I have shared a lot of scriptures, right? That shed light on all these sections and so much more. Here are three words for you today, dear sister. Repent, renew, remember Jesus. Mm. Three thoughts that I would hope that you will remember from today's episodes are, one, heart transformation is God's business. Let's just say it like that. Heart transformation is God's business, period. Don't let anyone in this world fool you that you don't need God for heart transformation. Mm. If you want to do it without God, then go for it. I know what that process feels like, and I personally do not choose slavery to sin. I choose to believe that there is... There is sin and there is repentance through the grace of God. And so anytime I'm caught up in something, I run to Jesus. That to me is freedom. When the conscience, my conscience is at peace and can rest. Thought number two, the sin factor is not talked about enough. In my other sphere, which is mental health, we excuse many sins with labels, which really if we can begin to acknowledge them for what they are, we can help people experience true freedom in their hearts and minds. We set the conscience free by acknowledging that what you know is so not right. The battle you're facing to is, 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 is something that you have to let sin go. Once you let the sin go, that battle becomes something that's manageable. If it makes you feel good, say it. If it gives you power, say it. But when you do and you're ready to let it go, humbly turn it over to Jesus. 
and tell him to take your heart and your will and do as he will. So if it, if it makes you feel good, yeah. If it makes you good, yeah. But once you're ready to turn it over, like the scripture said, turn your heart, turn to him. I watched Spider-Man with my children a while back. And when Peter tasted the power that the black parasite gave him, he found it difficult to let it go. <laughs> Eventually, he was able to uh, let it go because the light in him overpowered the darkness. Oof. The darkness found a new host. And this time, the new host, because of the evil already in his heart, couldn't let the black parasite go. So the evil remained and his heart grew more wicked as he embraced the temporary power he got. A heart that is turned over to Jesus cannot be taken over by Satan. But a heart that is already rejecting Jesus is opening a door for another host and spirit. So your heart will become the host and the spirit will enter. These things you don't talk about freely. And you know why, dear sister, that the day after I wrote this episode, I battled in a dream with evil. Yes. This is how powerful the word of God is. It will cut. It will cut through bone and marrow. Thought number three. If you can get beyond the sin factor in your heart transformation, the battle is more than halfway won. Heart transformation is more than tending to your emotions and feelings. It is a journey that requires time, Holy Spirit, and a willing, teachable, humble heart, ready to exude the pure fruits of the Spirit. You're ready to live true holiness. You're ready to deny self, die to self daily, and allow Jesus to lead your life as you Lord. Here are three actions for you today. Follow us on social media. That's it. Follow us, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, whichever one. Just follow. Support us. Share. Share with a sister. Share with a friend. Help another sister heal. Help another sister transform. And if they're truly, truly wanting discipleship, invite them over to godlywomanandcompany.org. And I hope you're already there. Action number two, here are some heart healing habits that I want you to consider. And these are questions that I always give you. The first question, what sins are you wrestling with today? If you cannot name that thing as sin, and you feel like something is holding you back from you saying that this is a sin, that's that right there is where we are starting from. Would you choose to acknowledge, accept, and abide today? Write what you're acknowledging about your sinful nature. Write what you're accepting about Jesus and write how you can abide in his love. Action number three, read the book of Romans, y'all, and pray. That's it. It is always a great time for me when it comes to walking in my purpose of teaching and building others up in the ways of God. I have tasted it and I know my heart this is where peace and joy truly reside. Living free is everyday godly decisions that frees your heart and mind, feeds your heart and mind, and focuses your heart and mind. My heart is always full when I get to do this, which is sit down one-on-one, -on -one, you know, one to many, I guess, and share with you what the Lord is teaching and wanting you to know. 
And this heart transformation series is, 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 is a dedication to my younger self. And I hope you will dedicate it to your younger self too, as you journey with me. So dear sister, let's choose to be free. Let's choose to live free. Let's choose to stay free. Being faithfully renewed, encouraged, exceptional women and men of God. This is Kate, your chief joy activator. Until next time, may God's goodness and mercy follow you always. And remember, healed people heal people. So go into the world today and heal someone today. Choose to live free. I love you. Bye. <laughs>